Whispers in the Trees is a dark podcast currently focusing on the Great White North, surrounding all of our grisly truths from the kindest place on earth to the head-scratching unknowns hidden beneath our snow. My name is Matt, so join me today while we explore the insanity that was the Sexual Sterilization Act. If you want to help me continue my passion with bringing these dark secrets to light, consider helping me out at buymeacoffee.com forward slash whispers podcast. Today's case will be including heavy historical discrimination and forced sterilization. These are not my views. I highly disagree with all of it, but I really hope that shouldn't need to be said. It's an uncomfortable part of history, but it's again buried under the snow. I'm taking a hairdryer to it today. We're melting the snow. It's time to look at it. But if this will upset you, it, I understand it's a heavy topic and please understand that viewer discretion is advised. So those of you who are able to remain, join me around my campfire. These are my whispers in the trees. government of Canada had a problem in the 1920s. Prostitution, poverty, and crime was rampant in the streets and the asylums and prisons were already overflowing. The Bureau of Social Research was founded to study social issues in Manitoba, Alberta, and Saskatchewan. They linked up with the Canadian National Committee on Mental Hygiene as mental health began to take focus of the research in the 1920s. The two began researching on why prostitution, crime, and unemployment were so rampant in Canada. The conclusion their studies would come to find would be that these people are suffering from quote-unquote feeble-mindedness. Being feeble-minded, having a high amount of sexual promiscuity for the day, being mentally defective, having a low IQ, or not conforming to social norms would all make you one of the problems. So far, it sounds pretty normal for the 1920s kind of mind. This was already something that was being institutionalized and criminally charged and already being dealt with in their minds. So if institutionalizing these people was not the solution, what possibly could be? Eugenics. What is eugenics, you ask? Eugenics is the belief that someone can create the most, in their eyes, desirable humans through breeding only those with desirable features and traits and slowly getting rid of those deemed to have undesirable traits. Basically, in their minds, breed the worthy, reject the weak. It was invented by Sir Francis Galton in the early 1900s and it has since been discredited as being unscientific and biased. Gee, I fucking wonder why. He believed poverty, illness, and other social problems were inherited and could be passed down through generations. Wow! It wasn't to do with resource distribution or how the cities are set up. No, no. It couldn't even be discrimination, no. These had to be inherited traits through genetics. I fucking... The, ninth, the old medical mind is fascinating. It's horribly wrong. But it's how we got here today, and it's, it's just fascinating to see how fucked we were as humans. But that's just me. 
Alberta man J.S. Woodsworth saw this practice and said, yeah, that's the one. That's what's going to help us out here. And drafted the Sexual Sterilization Act in 1925. And it would be passed in Alberta in 1928 and in British Columbia in 1933. There were drafts made for Ontario, Manitoba, and Saskatchewan to have them as well, but the allowed outcry from the Catholic Church prevented them from passing. Holy shit! The church actually did something historically good? Wow! Other provinces got around these outcries, with Quebec having baby bonuses, which would be giving extra money as incentive to people with bigger families, and Nova Scotia just institutionalizing women deemed as unfit mothers. Initially, the Sexual Sterilization Act was supposed to help with the seen problem of too many mentally challenged people in asylums. The asylums were overflowing, and the only way to limit the amount of mentally ill and mentally disabled people in these people's minds was to segregate and sterilize them. If mental illness was hereditary, this was a cure in their minds. No one wanted to deal with these people more than they had to to begin with, so the idea of mental illness and challenges being hereditary was actually quite frightening and caused the idea of eugenics to snowball. If they could get rid of it within a couple generations, people who were not mentally ill were kind of on board with this and jumped on the train. People firmly believed that if they could not cure the people they already had, they had to wait for them to die out and just not let them have kids so that there wouldn't be any more mental illness in the world. One woman, Emily Murphy, is quoted in saying, the congenitally diseased are becoming vastly more populous than those we designate as the upper crust. Why, it is altogether likely that the upper crust with its delicious plums and dash of cream is likely to become, at any time, a mere toothsome morsel for the hungry, the abnormal, the criminals, and the posterity of insane paupers in a world of the neglected folk. Nice. Basically, the upper class were scared that they would be overcrowded by those meddlesome mentally ill, and they had to do everything they possibly could to get rid of them before this could happen. I think this quote really shows the way they looked at these people, likening themselves as the crust with plums and cream, the upper society that covered them. Something desirable and delicate to be destroyed by these people that they described as insane, that can only be criminals and pretty much vermin the way they were being described. They saw these people as vermin who did not deserve any bodily autonomy at all. To be deemed someone who would be in need of sterilizing, the patient would first be declared so by the superintendent of the hospital they were in. Once the superintendent declared that they were in need of sterilization, the files would be sent off to who were then called the Board of Eugenics. In 1928, the board was made up of four people. Dr. E. Pope, Dr. E. G. Mason, Dr. J. M. McEachern, and Mrs. Jean H. Field. It would be changed in 1933 to being made up of three interchangeable people to be chosen by the acting lieutenant governor in general. They would have to choose a psychiatrist, someone experienced in social work, and a judge of court record in the province. The acting lieutenant governor in general would from time to time choose these three people, but for the most part the group kind of just stayed the same and it was, it was not very often that they switched it up. The board was only paid for any traveling expenses that they were required to use for board purposes only. 
Doctors would be paid for medical procedures by the institutions their patients were received from. The government wasn't really involved. And the Board of Eugenics didn't really get paid. They just wanted to be there. Says a lot about it. So consent did have to be given, and if the patient was unable to give consent for whatever reason, the spouse, parent, or next of kin would be selected to sign the paperwork, much like medical procedures work today. If the patient was unable to give consent and there were none of these options to receive consent, the province would declare that they had given consent for the patient. How fucked up is that? Basically, if the person was unable to give that consent, the province could just say, well, we give it for them and do it anyway. In 1937, the act was amended that the consent was not needed for those not mentally fit. Mentally disabled or psychotic individuals could be forcefully sterilized to prevent mental harm from themselves or their child. These are not my words. These are theirs. The act actually declared that the only civil lawsuits that could come from the operations being done under direction of the act are ones of negligence. Doctors were selected by the Board of Eugenics to be able to perform the procedures, and they could not be sued for doing this procedure so long as it had been declared necessary by the government. The only way there could be a lawsuit was if there was actual medical negligence that caused harm. In 1942, the act would be amended to include people suffering with neurosyphilis, not amounting to psychosis, but non-responsive to treatment as well as epilepsy with psychosis or mental deterioration. So if you had syphilis in your nervous system, but it wasn't affecting your brain and you weren't responding to a treatment, they could sterilize you because you could get worse. And typically syphilis would get worse and end up in mental deterioration. Or if you were having seizures with your mental illness, any kind of mental illness mixed with epilepsy. Lovely. Over the next few years, 2,834 sterilizations out of a possible 4,739 residents in Alberta were completed. That's over 60% of their estimated goal. In British Columbia, the files were lost or destroyed, though the number is estimated to be between 200 and 400 people. Not as many as in Alberta, but that's still a lot of people to have been forcefully sterilized because they were mentally ill or deemed a problem to society. So now we have a basic understanding of the Sexual Sterilization Act. It started bad and continued to get worse. Another big target for the eugenics board were immigrants and indigenous people. In particular, they targeted the Eastern European immigrants as well as the indigenous peoples. They had other immigration laws to keep the Chinese people out at this time, like the Chinese head tax. We'll be discussing this next Thursday. I will be doing another crime episode in between, so it's not as heavy on you guys because this is quite a bit to take in. Overall, 6-8% to of the people targeted by the eugenics policies were indigenous, but as the years went on, the discrimination worsened. By the end, indigenous people were taking up just over 25% from 1969 to 1972. Because of the effects of how they were treated by European settlers, the Aboriginals were obviously seen as unfit. There was heightened drug and alcohol abuse, poverty, homelessness, and mental health, as well as ill physical health. We talked about why this would be because of the residential schools in that episode, so we're not going to get too far into that. 
but because of the trauma and the way they were coping with their trauma at this time, they were seen as unfit people and they were seen as unfit parents. Through this time period, these effects were believed to be from lower racial evolution. That was the excuse that the Europeans were giving. Basically, they were saying they were sterilizing these people because they were not as evolved as they were. Could not have possibly been from the cultural genocide they were still going through. Could not have possibly been the slaughter they had been through. Could not have been anything other than them just not being good enough. In the day, Native women were also known to be more sexually free than the Europeans. This caused them to be even more targeted because this caused them to be deemed as unfit mothers because of the sexual promiscuity. They were overly sexual criminals, don't you know? While the British Columbia records have mostly been lost, this one describing a young Aboriginal girl has since been found. Quote, Patient is a mentally defective Indian girl who has always been incorrigible, wild, undisciplined, and promiscuous. Sterilization is therefore strongly recommended to prevent patient from having illegitimate children, which the community would have to care for and for whom it would be very difficult to find foster homes. They sterilized her because she was too sexual and they didn't want her to have kids to end up in the foster system. So they forced her to be sterilized. Other women were told that they were the guardians of their race and that they had to vote for these policies to be good mothers. They were to keep them in place because they were trying to weed out these social problems and create better worlds for their children. The act was in place until 1972. But even though this act was in place, there were still eugenically motivated doctors outside of these provinces. One in Ontario, A.R. Kaufman, led the Ontario charge and he and his merry gang of snippers sterilized an estimated 400 women and 1,000 men. That's insane. There was no act in Ontario. There was active um, dispute against it. The church did not want it in Ontario. Therefore, the public did not want it in Ontario. But they still managed to get away with 1,400 sterilizations. Sterilization also took place in northern Canada. David Lewis, a member of parliament, came forward in 1970 sharing that this was happening and they did not always use interpreters to get consent. These women did not always know what was happening and even though this information was shared, an internal investigation did not get put underway until 1976, six years later and four years after the act was abolished. Between 1971 and 1974, at least 551 sterilizations were performed in Indigenous hospitals across Northern Canada. These hospitals were specifically designed to help a primarily Indigenous population, and the Board of Eugenics set up there. These documents did not share the individual experiences, but it has documented that the women did not have interpreters. They did not understand English, and they did not understand what was being told to them. They were led to believe that these procedures would be for their own health and for their own good. Albeit to a much lesser extent, this is unfortunately still happening to Indigenous women today. Between 2005 and 2010, 16 women came forward to report coerced consent to sterilization. Allegedly in the 70s, 
there were 1,200 alone, and from the 80s to 2019, there have been over 100 to come forward. Those are the ones to come forward. Women have reported being told that they were not given all of the necessary information to give proper consent, being pressured to give consent, being told that they would not be able to see their baby until they consented. Imagine being told that unless you got your tubes tied, you would not be allowed to see your newborn. You just had a baby, you're full of hormones, and your doctor is now telling you they have to sterilize you for your own good or you're never gonna see your child again. When a, women have told stories of being given forms to sign while being in labor or on operating tables, you're not gonna read a piece of paper while you're in labor or being operated on. You're trusting your doctors. These allegations were brought to the United Nations Committee Against Torture, who decided that all allegations must be looked into impartially and all matters must be done to criminalize the coerced sterilization. Fucking good. This is outrageous. In Canada, it is actually illegal to give birth on a remote or rural bandland. If you are between 36 and 38 weeks pregnant, you have to travel to an urban center for birthing practices. You have to give birth somewhere like a city or a town. You have to go to an actual hospital. This is consistently reinforced trauma in indigenous groups. They're not allowed to practice their own birthing practices or be at home with their own loved ones or be in their peace. This is called the evacuation policy. This was done to expose the women to Western medicines and practices and criminalize their own and to make it easier to coerce the sterilizations because guess what? These doctors could now be at their bedsides while they were giving birth. Sterilizations would be offered because it was cheaper than everything else the government had tried. It was cheaper and a more final solution than the residential schools or the 60s scoop had been. They wanted to reduce the numbers in the communities that the government owed to. They wanted to reduce them until they were gone. Wipe out the line of descendants with claim to treaty or indigenous rights or title to land. Wipe them out. They were greedy, don't you know, and didn't want to admit that they had been the ones to fuck up the community. The government wanted to blame anyone but themselves for what was wrong with the country. The easiest scapegoats were the indigenous people, the immigrants, and the mentally ill. Not much has changed now, has it? One woman finally came forward in 1996 to tell her story and to sue the Alberta government for what it had done to her. Lilani Muir had been thrust into the provincial training school for mental defectives by her abusive parents. They lied and told the school she had mental disabilities when Lilani was 11 years old. When she was 14, she was told she was having her appendix removed, and she had no idea what actually happened during that surgery until her and her husband tried to have children years later. She was an inspiration to over 800 more people who came forward with their stories, forcing the government to hand over $80 million for the damages. At least they did that. If you or anyone else are suffering from violence, please reach out for help at your local helplines. You can find your province-specific ones at www.dawncanada.net forward slash issues forward slash crisis dash hotlines forward slash it's an awesome directory just got to find your province scroll down 
It has every resource for every abuse that could possibly happen and every resource you could need. You deserve all of the help you can get. So again, www.dawncanada.net forward slash issues forward slash crisis dash hotlines forward slash. If you or someone you know is suffering from a mental health crisis or need someone to talk to about anything mental health related, you can dial 833-456-4566 for the Canadian Suicide Prevention Hotline. They're open 24-7, 365 a year, and they're available in English and French. They'll talk to you about anything mental health related, and they're always willing to help. Again, it's 833-456-4566. And for my American listeners, your hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Cannot guarantee it's in French, but I can guarantee they're open 24-7, 365 a year, and they will help you with anything mental health related. But if you feel it is more severe, please dial 911 or visit your local emergency room. You deserve all of the help you can possibly get, even the help you don't feel you deserve you need. You can find me on YouTube or wherever you find your podcasts at Whispers in the Trees. Thank you so much for your continued support and for listening. Stay safe out there, you guys. You guys are all amazing.